every blessing you pour out I'll turn back to grace when the darkness closes in Lord still I will say blessed be the name of the Lord blessed be your name
Good morning. <laughs> Are you guys aware that we have a place out in the foyer for taking photographs for Thanksgiving with you and your family? Well, that's why my microphone was on my back. My wife said, come on, let's go take our picture. And uh, anyway, uh, I feel silly. <laughs> I'm glad you're here today. And uh, wanna, uh, for those of you that are new, I'm not Pastor Matthew, who is uh, in uh, Taiwan right now. But I uh, uh, had a privilege Friday afternoon about 4.30. Uh, he uh, and my mother and I got to visit by way of uh, FaceTime, and it was a sweet time. My mother was impressed that she could talk to, you know, from, from the one who had the crank uh, telephone on the wall that you told them what exchange you wanted to talking to someone on the other side of the earth. Uh, was just amazing to her, and uh, we had a good time together. Pray for Pastor Matthew and for Sophie. Uh, their plan is to leave on the day after Thanksgiving. Now, when we talked to him on Friday afternoon, it was Saturday morning. So when he says he's leaving the day after Thanksgiving, the truth is I don't know when he's leaving, okay? <laughs> so you figure that one out. Uh, but uh, do be in prayer for him. Our scripture memory for the month of Thanksgiving is found in Psalm 135. And if you would, repeat verses 5 and 6 after me. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. What a great and mighty God that we have. And he does as he pleases. He's not wringing his hands in regard to what's going on around you or with you. But he is there to come place his hand, excuse me, his hand on your life. Uh, if you're new to Faith Family Fellowship, there is a, uh, a little card there in the pew in front of you. It should be on the back of the pew. Uh, if you take a moment to register, we would uh, appreciate that very much. And then just drop it in the offering plate uh, or baskets when you leave. I know it's a holiday week, as it were. Uh, many of our people have already gone to be with family this week. And uh, so you be in prayer for them as they travel. We have a grandbaby up here. And Nefa's not, uh, uh, she's not grinning at all right now. Uh, so we are glad to have some folks visiting with us as well. Uh, uh, please come back tonight if you're able. We're going to be packing some uh, gift uh, uh, bags for uh, the uh, facility there at Montrose. I'll be uh, sharing the devotion there on Tuesday morning. And uh, these will be open doors for us to go in and visit. I've got a young man uh, that is there that uh, was many years ago now he's he's around 40 uh, but as a teenager he was uh, driving while intoxicated and in an accident killed someone uh, has been uh, converted saved born again uh, has a dynamic testimony even though he is trapped as it were in his body 
but he goes through times of struggle, knowing what happened. Uh, he goes through freedom and then guilt and everything in between. And it's just a privilege that I can go in and share with him. And what you do uh, tonight will help open that door yet again. And there are some uh, unsaved people who work in the facility as well as our residents there. So uh, your work tonight at 6 o'clock will be in the gym. It will be for eternal purposes. So I invite you to come. And let's go to the Lord in prayer then at this time. No gracious and good... Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us a certain word that there really are no other gods. For Lord, when your word says you're the great Lord, you're the Lord above all other gods, the gods are the idols that we make. And they're inadequate. They're insufficient. Medicine can't save us. Science can't save us. Money can't save us. Politics cannot save us. Lord, there is no hope of life after death, no hope of the resurrection, no assurance that we have an eternal home that you said has been prepared. For the Lord went and prepared a place for us and promised that for his children he would receive us unto himself so that where he is there will we be also that is the gospel thank you that we have a gospel a good news and Lord we want to come and praise you today and to give you thanks so Lord as we begin this week of thanksgiving Lord help us to to not grumble but to be grateful. And Lord, in all things, to give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us. We do pray for Pastor Matthew and for Sophie that you would grant to them a, a great coming together and a return back to home. And Lord, help us to be a body that helps take care of them in a way that would honor you pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand together, would you worship the Lord through song?
Lord, I pray that as Pastor Joel comes up to give the message, that you will give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. Lord, that we will leave this building better equipped to be your church and to show your love to those around us. We love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And again, thank you, Alex, and uh, our worship team for leading us in worship. And uh, Pam for playing for us. Thank you. Uh, well, obviously, we all know it's Thanksgiving week, uh, and uh, we indeed should be a people with great Thanksgiving in our hearts. And uh, I, I normally open with the reading of Scripture, but uh, uh, our text will be in uh, Psalm 107 this morning. But I'm going to kind of just uh, give you a brief history uh, before we get started. And uh, it's because uh, if, you, if you get on the Internet and you Google or Bing uh, the real story of Thanksgiving, do you, do you know what you will get? You will get a lot of garbage. Did you know that? And so since, since I am the scholar that I am and have uh, uh, history uh, memorized like I do, I'm going to give you the correct story. How's that? Okay. <laughs> well, there was a young man by the name of William Bradford who was converted as a teenager and uh, uh, back in the uh, early 1600s in England, he lived in a small community, uh, and uh, I've got the name of it written down. I had never uh, heard of it before. Uh, somewhere I've got it written down. See how, see how well I've got that trapped in my brain? Uh, it's a little community. Uh, uh, in uh, north central uh, England and uh, it has today about 329 residents in it so it was uh, it's it is a small town it was a small town uh, but he was raised there uh, and was introduced to a group of separatists uh, those were people who did not recognized that the Church of England had, f had reformed enough during the Reformation. They were way too much like the Roman Catholic Church and had not, had not uh, changed some of its doctrines as, uh, as the uh, Scripture would incline them to do so. And so uh, he was a part of a separatist group. They called themselves Puritans in that day. And they understood that if you were saved, born again of the Spirit of God, if you were one of God's chosen people, that meant that you lived differently. You lived a separated life. A life not like everybody else, but one that honored Christ and the things that you said and the things that you do. And uh, so this particular group... Uh, because of persecution in England, uh, they went to Holland. And uh, so they relocated to Holland. And uh, 
Holland was very receptive. They had uh, taken the uh, truths of the Reformation and embraced them and freedom of uh, worship, freedom to uh, read the Scripture and let the Holy Spirit be the interpreter of what the Scripture says rather than a priest or a, a doctrinal statement that had been written a long time ago, be that which directs you. Uh, they let the scriptures direct them. And after about a decade of that, uh, the leadership of that group had determined that God in his providence was directing them to go to the new world, which you and I know as uh, America. And uh, so they sought passage on a ship, and uh, when they left Holland and got to England, that ship began to sink. <laughs> yeah, that's not a good thing. And uh, so they, they found passage on the, uh, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. And uh, there were about, uh, oh, a couple hundred of them uh, that boarded those ships and headed for the New World. Their intent was to go to uh, what was known then as Virginia. And Virginia went all the way from uh, about South Carolina to the Hudson River Valley. And it was their intent that they were going to land in what you and I know today as uh, New York or Manhattan. And there was a winter storm that blew in. They left in September. Uh, it took them uh, 60 days to cross the Atlantic and a, uh, a nor'easter, some of you will relate to that, had blown in and uh, it blew them north and they came in the uh, uh, Plymouth Bay uh, and found to find refuge. Uh, it was cold. Uh, there was snow on the ground. There was really no place for them to go. They did not know what to do. Uh, the waves were breaking on the shore. There was no way for them to make landfall. And they put out a, a team uh, in a small boat to go and find a place for them uh, to find port. They landed on an island just off the coast of what we know as Plymouth. And when they were on the highest point of that little island they could see an abandoned Native American village. They looked at it, there was no one there. And they said it was as if it was the providence of God that directed them uh, to this place. And even through the storm it was an amazing event as they tell the story in some of their writings how the Lord deposited them safely in Plymouth and when they got there they found they found a town but nobody in it they found cultivated fields but no one to harvest it and uh, they had a rough winter out of a hundred and three that survived the trip over uh, by spring of that year come uh, March of that year there were only 52 of them that had survived and uh, when they uh, began to think about what they were to do, there was a Native American man. Uh, he was called Squanto. That was a shortened form of his name. 
who had 10 years earlier been uh, captured by a, an English king, uh, captain, brought into slavery, taken to Spain, made his way to England, learned English, learned how to build a ship, got on board a ship, made his way to Newfoundland, and just so happened in the year uh, 1621, and I don't know if you guys are aware of what year it is now, but that would be 400 years ago, okay? 400 years ago, he found his way back to his village, which guess what village it was? It was the village there in Plymouth where the, the newly arrived pilgrims had come and none of them knew how to speak any of the native uh, languages, the indigenous languages around them, but guess who did? He did, and he became their interpreter as in the providence of God. You see, the pilgrims were not there to form a, uh, a, a company. They were not there to take advantage of uh, the indigenous people like some would tell you. They were there to found what uh, would later be similar to Providence, Rhode Island, uh, by the providential hand of God, a colony where freedom of religion was allowed and the rule of the Word of God and the rule of the Lord would prevail. They were there to set up a system of government where they understood it as a theocracy where God ruled. And so they didn't come with the purpose of exploiting the people. They, and they found God, placed them where they were, provided for them supernaturally, as it seemed, an interpreter. And so in March of that year, he led the closest tribal community to come and join them to help them learn how to grow the beans and the corn and how to hunt down the uh, deer and animals in their area, how to catch lobster and what to do with oysters and all kinds of things. And so when the harvest came in the fall of that year, they did come together to give thanks to the God Almighty who had provided for them, and not only for them, but for their neighbors in a supernatural way. And they celebrated for nearly a week Thanksgiving, by the way. They ate lots of food while they were there, and they played lots of games. It was recorded that the children played tag, hide-and-go-seek, they played a game called Knots and Crosses, which is another term for tic-tac-toe, okay? And they did lots of things together. They played a game very similar to lacrosse as the kids had a great time together and enjoyed one another and they sang celebration unto the Lord God, their provider. Now, I just, want to, I just want to set that record straight, okay? Uh, so, I, I do realize there's going to be a lot of eating that will go on during Thanksgiving, and it's okay. 
The Puritans did it, and they were separatists. And it's okay to watch a little football and play some games because that's what they did as well. But certainly make sure you take time to honor our Lord and our God for all of His great provision. There was a children's song that came out in 1983 that most of you will remember. I'm kidding. Uh, some of you were not even born then. And here are the words of it. It was in our vacation Bible school. Uh, I think two years later. The title of I mean, the words go like this. Are you humbly grateful or grumbly hateful? What is your attitude? Do you grumble and groan or let it be known you're grateful for all God's done for you? Uh, there's a good check there. Are you humbly grateful or grumbly hateful it's amazing what having a heart of thanksgiving can do for uh, who we are and how we feel and no matter what trials that we may be going through when we begin to give thanks to God for all things knowing it is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us uh, it changes our whole outlook on things the scripture is replete with commands to give thanks unto the Lord and story after story where God's people gather together to give thanks. We know that when the Ark of the Covenant that had been lost was restored, David led the people of God to give thanks to the Lord. In First Chronicles 16, verses 35 and 36, it says, Say also, save us, O God of our salvation, and gather and deliver us, from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. And they praised the Lord. When the temple uh, was dedicated unto the Lord under Solomon's reign... Second uh, so, uh, Chronicles 7.3 says, When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement. They worshipped and they gave thanks to the Lord, saying, and here's a statement that is found more than 40 times in the Old Testament, For He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. And we're going to talk about that word steadfast love. It looks like two words in English, but it's actually one word in the original text of Scripture. And we're going to talk about that. It, it's a revealer of the providential hand of God. And when we say providence, that's a word that should encourage you because it comes from the word to provide. Where God provides for us, just as He did for these pilgrims. You and I are pilgrims. On our way, this world is not our home, we're just passing through, and God will be our provider. Uh, Jehoshaphat in his day, when the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Parasites, I, there's another group, I can't remember what their name is, uh, when they were coming against Israel, uh, he was afraid and he says to the Lord, Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. In verse 21 of that chapter, it says, And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing 
to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. And they went before the army as they were going out to the battle because God had promised them he was going to give them, the enemy, into their hand. Notice what he said. Give thanks to the Lord for his, here's our word, steadfast love endures forever. And then again in, uh, when the temple is uh, uh, rebuilt in the post-Babylonian uh, after their captivity, uh, it goes on to say, to give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So I want us to just briefly look at three par parts out of Psalm 107. It's a very lengthy psalm. It has uh, eight different statements in it about uh, giving thanks to the Lord because of his steadfast love. I don't know the context in which the song was written. We're not given that story. Uh, it, it is called a psalm of David. Uh, Alec Motier, who is a Hebrew scholar, says about this uh, psalm, it's a thanksgiving for God's great commitment and His unchanging love. And that's our word, okay? When it's steadfast love, His unchanging love uh, that comes from the Lord like a springtide of love rising, flooding, and full. It is a love that caters to every need and eventuality. So it doesn't matter what happens, what comes. It's this, it's this steadfast love of the Lord. It's this uh, faithfulness to His promises that God is going to keep. He says we, we, we are to ask, do we then realize how greatly we are loved? Do we? Do we realize how greatly we are loved? That under no circumstances, whether external in our situation or internal in our sinfulness, we, God's love will neither let us go or fail and be insufficient. Hold fast then, he says, to the steadfast love of Christ that is out of his transforming power and is able to change us because of the nature of who he is and not because of ourselves. I read a lot. I hope you caught some of that. And what he's reminding us here is that you are loved with an everlasting love. Psalm, uh, Jeremiah 31. And I, and I love uh, when it says, and we are drawn by cords of compassions. It, it gives the idea that you have been lassoed by love. Why do we give thanks? We give thanks because we have a providential God who is there for us in good times and in bad times. And he has, he has moored you. Do you know what that means to be moored? It, it, it refers to a boat that's been tied to the dock. You are tied to the dock of God's safety. It's like you're out in the troubled uh, waters and there is a harbor that is there. And right now you may be still out in the harbor, but your anchor is inside the harbor. Your anchor is in Christ. And you are held tightly to Him. So I want to just show th uh, briefly three things about this word. It's the word C-H-E.
E-S-E-D in the Hebrew. And uh, it's this redeeming love, this uh, uh, steadfast love of the Lord. So we're going to look at verses 1 through 3 to begin with as we talk about this steadfast love and this providence of God as His redeeming love. Look what he says here. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the, here's our word, redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from troubled. And, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. You see, this is the expression of who God is in His loyalty to His covenant, in His faithfulness to His promises, in the fact that He has lassoed spiritually by grace His children and... Uh, as I've shared with you, uh, when we were on mission trip in uh, Jamaica, they used to sing a song there, I am tied up, I'm wrapped up, tied up, and tangled up in Jesus. All right? That's the idea that's here. You are, you've been lassoed by Christ. Let the redeemed say so. You see, out of the love of God, what has He done? He has paid the redemption price for our sins. So yet again, as I mentioned last week, when Christ cried on the cross of Calvary, it is finished. It literally has the idea of paying our debt in full. Paying your debt off. Really the idea of forgiveness is releasing someone from their debt. And I don't know how difficult you find that to be. But remember when Jesus said you're to forgive those who persecute you? Those who hate you. Remember, remember Peter said, Lord, uh, you know what? You're right. We should forgive. How about if I could forgive three times? You know, somebody offends me three times. How about I forgive them three times? And what did Jesus say? Jesus' response was, oh, you must forgive 70 times 7. And Peter did the math, I'm sure. Because, you know, Peter is Peter. Right? He's kind of like us. And he probably said in his mind, okay, so I'm going to start counting every time I have to forgive John for the things that he's done. And when we get to number 49, that's it. You know? That's, that, that's the last. On 50, guess what? I don't have to forgive him anymore. And you and I know that Jesus is giving us a metaphor of completeness. We are to completely forgive one another. And how do we forgive people who continue to offend us? How do we forgive someone who continues to do the same thing for us? We do it out of the steadfast love of God. His covenant relationship in which you and I have been brought into by His grace so that through what Christ has done on the cross of Calvary, we can release someone from the debt that they owe us because of the things they have said, the things they have done, what they have forgotten about. And you and I can forgive them one time, five times, fifteen times, a hundred times because you and I have been forgiven of so much. Because we've been forgiven of what? 
everything, all of our sin has been forgiven by Christ. We have a song that we sing. It says, I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You, the Lord, were condemned. I'm alive and well and your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about his steadfast love is a redeeming love. But secondly, it's a rescuing love. And I'm going to give you the assignment. This is your homework. Go read the whole of the psalm, okay? We're going to drop down to verses 8 through 14 to look at his rescuing love. Notice what it says there. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor, and they fell down with no one to help. And then they cried. This is, this is the way. This is the way of man. We cry out unto the Lord. They cried out unto the Lord when? In their troubles. And what did he do? He rescued them, didn't he? He delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of their darkness and in the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. This is indeed what Christ has done for us in His rescuing love, saving us from ourselves. You see, our biggest problem is, is not someone else. Our biggest problem is not our circumstances. I don't know about you, but if you look at a picture of an idyllic place, and I don't know what your ideal place would be. You know, it may be a cabin up in the mountains somewhere, or it may be... Uh, uh, surfing off the coast of uh, Hawaii. I, I don't know what comes to your mind when you say, man, if I could just be there, you know, if I could just be there a month, life would be okay. It'd be all right. You know, you and I have a physics problem. And the problem is, is wherever you go, you know who goes with you? You do. Right? I have to take me with me. And that's the physics problem. And God has to rescue us, not necessarily from our enemies and not necessarily from our circumstances. He comes to rescue us from ourselves. Within me, that is in my flesh, Paul said, dwells no good thing. The heart is deceitful above all things and it is desperately wicked. You see, we struggle with our own selves and yet... The Word of God is defining a group of people here who, who uh, had a longing in their soul, but they sat in darkness. They experienced the consequences of sin uh, in their lives. They became afflicted, and they were in bondage to themselves, to their sin, 
to others, to debt, or whatever it was, and even they rebelled against the words of the Lord. Oh, they, they went to church. Don't misunderstand this. These are religious people. These are people who are coming to the temple. All right? Uh, they're faithful. But their problem is, is resident within their heart. And it is when they bow their heads in their trouble and cry out unto the Lord, the Lord will rescue him. Oh, you and I are just a, a prayer away from finding the Lord to be everything that we need. He is full of providential, steadfast love toward his children. He said, if you return unto me, I will return unto you. Oh, that we would do that. And then number three, there is a relentless love. A relentless love. So uh, there is a redeeming love that's tied up in this idea of his steadfast love. There is this rescuing love that's there. But understand this, he doesn't ever quit. That's what it means to be relentless. He comes after you. Uh, you know that the 23rd Psalm concludes with those words. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. And you'll dwell in the house of the Lord. It was Charles Spurgeon that called those two things, goodness and mercy, the hound dogs of heaven. I like it. I don't know if you've ever been chased by dogs. But I have. Yeah. And uh, what he's saying is, here are these hound dogs, they're coming after you. And when you and I turn and look around, when it's coming from the Lord, what do we find? Goodness, and it says mercy. Guess what that word is? It's the same word, loving kindness. It is his, it is his uh, steadfast love that comes after us. It is relentless. Verses 23 through 32 of Psalm 107 says, So some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. In other words, they went about their business as usual. Life wasn't going any better for them. They went about their business as usual. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. He could, they could see the hand of God. He had commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven and they went down to the depths. Their courage then melted away in their evil plot. They saw what God was doing in this world and they felt like, okay, is it another hurricane coming? Is there another storm coming our way? Verse 27 says they reeled and they staggered like drunken men and they were at their wits end. They did not know what to do. They cried out to the Lord in their troubles, and what did He do? He delivered them in their distress. You know, you and I have, uh, we have a couple of professional counselors in our church. And they're good. But you know what? They're not great. Sorry. There's one who is great. There is a counselor who is great. And it is the Holy Spirit of God who is our ultimate counselor who takes the Word of God to apply it to our lives if we will listen and we will repent, that is, return unto the Lord and follow Christ. Notice in their trouble they cried out unto the Lord. 
They came to him and he delivered them from their distress. He who made the storm, he made it still. The waves of the sea, he did what? He hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet. And he brought them to their desired haven. So let them thank the Lord for his, here's our word, his steadfast love. For his wondrous works to the children of men. You see, God showed this relentless love to Abraham, didn't he? God called Abraham to be his follower and Abraham obeyed the Lord. But guess what he did? He lied. He cheated. He found himself contrary to the way and the will of God for his life when he's in the house of Elimelech and Elimelech has his wife to be his own bride and God relentlessly comes after them, doesn't he? He does. What about Lot? Lot in his trouble? Lot chooses a place? I mean, it's not quite as bad as New Orleans, but almost. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be offensive. If you're from New Orleans, I apologize. <laughs> but, but you understand, it, you know, it, it's the place where everything that happens there stays there. And that's a lie, by the way. Uh, it, it comes back. Uh, he's living in uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, he's probably not where he ought to be. And yet when trouble comes and he's carried away into captivity, God's relentless love comes after him now does that mean you and I can live our lives however we want to and trust in the relentless love of the Lord to come after us well you can do that but can I tell you the loss will be great the scars will be deep the change in the way your mind thinks toward the things of God will be hardened and so God is calling us to remember he, he in His relentless love pursues us just as He did Moses, just as He did David, just as He did Simon Peter, He'll do for you. We see it in the command. We see this relentless love in the command that God gave Hosea when God commanded him to marry Gomer. And uh, she was unfaithful to him and and the Lord said, I want you to continue to pursue her even when she is unfaithful. It's a picture of the relentless love of God. And you and I see that relentless love. We see it in the posture of the father who is waiting for his prodigal son to come home. So that when the son returns to home, we see the father going after the son to embrace him and to restore him but understand there are two sides to this covenant there's a side of this covenant that is all of grace it is all of the Lord but at the same time just as these Puritans understood it 400 years ago on this other side of the covenant the side that is us God calls us to faithfulness obedience and love toward our God. And the reality is, how could you and I not love someone just like that? To know that no matter what happens, no matter what anybody says or anybody does, God is not going to forsake you. He is going to pursue you.
with an everlasting love. So I want to ask you, are you humbly grateful, grumbly hateful? It'll all depend on whether or not you really get the concept that God loves you and pursues you. And you and I have a responsibility to trust in Him. So are you in Christ? Are you in that covenant? You come in that covenant by grace through faith and not of yourself. It's a gift from God. It's not the result of works or we would brag about it. And there is no bragging left in grace except to brag on Christ. And so do you have that? And as a child of God, if you're not humbly grateful, it's a revealer that you and I are living testing the steadfast love of the Lord. And God tells us, don't test me. And don't try me. You know what? You lose every time. Come to Him afresh and anew today with a surrendered heart. And so, Father, we want to have this grateful heart. And, Lord, our circumstances will not have changed because we heard a message about the steadfast love of the Lord. And we will have to face trials, difficulties, hardships, family. We will have to struggle with forgiveness and unforgiveness. We'll have to struggle with pain and hardship and difficulty. But oh, to get a fresh view of Christ on the cross of Calvary and to know that He loves us steadfastly. He is immovable in His love and pursuit of us. And you have loved us with an everlasting love. And you have, as it were, lassoed us by your tender mercies. And I pray, Lord, that we as your children today would respond to you in kind. To return to the Lord with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our being. That we may love you. And as a result of that, loving you because you first loved us be able to love those around us. I pray for the one that may be here that's yet to come into this covenant relationship with Christ, who've yet to bow the knee of their life to say, Jesus is my Lord. And that today would be the day that you would call them by name and they would trust Christ as Savior and Lord of their lives. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to stand.